Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, I speak with Veronica Bamford-Dean, Managing Director of Work for Good, a platform that supports charities to build relationships with small businesses. It might seem like a bad time to discuss approaching business for support with so many small businesses having been hit by the pandemic. But speaking with Veronica, there seems to be a real appetite from small businesses to develop relationships with charities and find mutually beneficial ways of working together. Veronica and I speak about ethical consumerism, corporate partnerships, and share some of her own experiences from working with businesses in the past. We even talk about caterpillars. All become clear. There's heaps in this one, so I hope you'll come away with a few wow moments. I certainly did. This episode is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce Veronica Bamford-Dean speaking with me about building relationships with small businesses. I'm delighted to be joined today by Veronica Bamford-Dean, Managing Director of Work for Good. Veronica, welcome to Charity Chat. Thanks so much, Sam. It's uh, very, I feel very honoured to be invited to join you today. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. Well, we're, we're honoured to have you. Um, if we can start by just explaining to our audience, what is your background and what led you to become Managing Director of Work for Good? Yeah, of course. So I've been um, I've been working in the charity sector for just under 10 years. Um, but I suppose if we rewind entirely back to school and university, um, I've always been involved in supporting charities, whether that was running uh, the charities committee at school and then uh, on to the wonderful rag at my university, which I'm sure many listeners might have um, taken part in should they have gone to uni as well. Um, and then from there, sort of after uni, I decided having studied sociology, you know, I wanted to I wanted to work for the charity sector. Mm. Um, I started working for a couple of university development offices uh, until, as I'd like to say, I got my big break into a um, big charity, the wonderful Save the Children. It was a great experience. Um, one of my dear friends was also working there at the time and um, started in the high value giving team. Uh, doing some wonderful uh, data spreadsheet inputting as one would do in a very kind of assistant level um, but it it was a really great opportunity to start to learn the ropes of fundraising and then from there I went to the UK program funding team and was there for sort of the following two and a half years and actually I'd say probably a lot of my learning of fundraising uh, overall very much started at Save the Children and I'm sort of slightly indebted to them to what I learned and the, the various colleagues that I worked with as well and then from there I went and um, oh completely forgotten one of my roots in I uh, did an internship with a military charity tickets for really? troops for, yeah. for three months uh, and then this is fast forwards to post Save the Children um, mm. I went on to actually run tickets for troops um, it was an it's an online ticketing platform, mm. but a small military charity as well. So I say small. Um, we had fifty six thousand members or beneficiaries, and but I had a team of four. So I went from wonderfully huge Save the Children with lots of employees to a very small run charity. So you started there as an intern, and then you came back to it to to run it. 
I did. Uh, yes, and I still not quite sure the mechanism of how that one completely worked. Um, and to be honest, and this I suppose this for any sort of younger or early stage fundraisers, I got the internship in the original place by just emailing them and saying I love the work that they did. Would they like to um, hire me for a few months? Mm. So it's definitely worth reaching out to charities to see if they have any positions. And then yeah, I was at Tickets for Troops for. About three and a half years, an absolutely incredible time there, uh, an experience that I got, um, had a wonderful team, very hardworking, um, and we were just able to reach so many military personnel. So the the idea of Tickets for Troops was to offer free tickets to the armed forces Mm -hmm. to go to events all over the UK. So um, with that, I was working with over 400 commercial partners, so from kind of live music agents to theatres to uh, museums, um, sporting venues, um, you know, Premier League, rugby, etc. And although some may argue that that's not fundraising, it was just a different type of asset in terms Mm. of fundraising. So we were fundraising for, we were ticket raising, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which was was super... Um, and then in the following tickets for troops, I actually took nine months out uh, with my husband and um, well, my fiance then, but uh, husband now. Uh, and we travelled a little bit around um, the world, which is an absolutely fascinating and eye-opening experience. And then came back and really wanted to sink my teeth into a project or an organisation that meant something to me. But that's when that's when work for goods sort of popped up at me, and it was job I looked at a couple of times I was like no this you know sounds good so um applied to the role and um joined them in August 2018. What is it that Work for Good actually do? Work for Good is an online fundraising platform um helping charities raise funds from small businesses who want to donate through the sales of their products and services. And so in, in terms of the, the work that you're doing with Work for Good, then is that what, what does it look like? How, how What kind of conversations are you having on a daily basis with charities or companies? Yeah, so our two, our two main audiences are charities um, and small businesses, um, depending on who we're talking to. So if we're talking to charities, we'll be telling them about how, um, you know, how the platform works. So the platform we have are USP is we have the commercial participation agreement which I'm sure we'll delve into a little more in a little bit I'm sorry for anyone who rolls their eyes at that word those (laughs) words Um, to talk about that and how a digital solution to a commercial participation agreement can actually benefit charities and increase their fundraising potential and also offer a new solution to businesses who would otherwise perhaps be coming to them and maybe be um, being turned away due to various kind of uh, donation thresholds, logo usage, um, on just sort of the return of investment sometimes for charities to partner up with smaller businesses. Many of our listeners will think of some of the larger corporate partnerships, such as the Samaritans partnering with Network Rail or Oxfam International partnering with uh, Coca-Cola. They may have experienced themselves working at a company or a charity and seeing firsthand how partnerships do or sometimes don't work for both. What are you seeing companies doing in order to support charities through your work for good platform? When we talk about 
companies or businesses, we're very much talking about um, small companies or micro businesses um, or sole traders. So actually, um, there are probably know this yourself, but you know, there are 5.8 million small businesses in the UK. Um, 99% of those are small and about 96% of those are micro. Um, So when we're talking, when you're talking about kind of the Oxfam's partnering with Coca-Cola or um, Samaritans with Network Rail, Mm. we're talking about big corporates with multiple employees um, but and charity in the sector is so good at nurturing those relationships um, and this is why when we set up work for good and as we developed we were noticing that small businesses were kind of getting a bit lost and charities were receiving lots of incoming inquiries from fabulous small businesses wanting to donate through the sales of their products and services. Mm -hmm. However, they weren't being able to do so because, you know, they would have to give a big enough sort of return investment for that partnership to take place. So sometimes a business would come into a corporate team and then be popped to the community team. And then actually the commercial participation agreement, which is required for those relationships to take place, was just a bit complicated to set up. So what we decided to do was really focus on small businesses and saw them as a huge opportunity for fundraising and equally as an opportunity to help fundraisers fundraise better and more efficiently and use their time better. Um, and I think what's really important kind of to note is you know, companies are really putting their values and their purpose first and at the heart of their businesses. Um, and you know, it's a responsibility as business to support society and the environment and kind of considering the capacity of running a small business is pretty limited. We were trying to provide them with a really easy way to fundraise for the charities that they um, cared about. Now, I know I've touched on it a little bit, Sam, but you know the purpose of Work for Good is we have the commercial participation agreement integrated into the platform. Now, cause-related marketing is something that has been around for many years. We are not bringing cause-related marketing to the fundraising market. However, what cause-related marketing has unfortunately kind of staggered Mm. is the complex agreements that are required for it. How would we define uh, cause-related marketing? Sure. So cause-related marketing is when a business wants to sell or promote a product or service and link that to um, supporting a charity. So it's the kind of thing you see in a, maybe supermarkets where they say, you know, for uh, buy buy one of these and, and 10% will go to X charity or something like that. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the, the most recent uh, upheaval in the sector and across supermarkets with um, Mr. Colin uh, and Macmillan and then Aldi mm. and, and the rest of them coming on board, you know, yeah. it's unfortunate, but that was all related around cause-related marketing. This was Colin the Caterpillar? Colin the Caterpillar, yeah. The, wow, the lovely yeah. chocolate cake. That's right. Obviously, yeah. other brands are available. <laughs> of course. And and <laughs> anyone that wants to find out can go on to Aldi or MS's Twitter feed, I think, to find out more, can't they? There's a lot of sure. lot of content. Exactly. There. 
Exactly. But I think, you know, the, the important thing about cause related marketing is any business can do it and it shouldn't just be for uh, protected for the larger businesses. Mm. And, you know, going back to saying how many small businesses there are in the UK and particularly product based based businesses who have wonderful products to sell and they might just want to give something back. Mm. So they want to give back through their sales, a pound, a percentage um and there are reasons for that you know they want to they want to tell their customers what's important to them they want to celebrate and support a cause that means something to their business or perhaps it might mean something to one of their employees who's asked the business to um, fundraise for them um but also there are you know commercial benefits as well obviously cause related marketing is a really ugly term Mm. but it will help sell products And there are two ways of looking at this. We can put the drawbridges up and say, absolutely not. Why would you want to um, put a commercial value against a charity's name? Mm. Or the charity or a group of charities can um, see this as an advantage. Because it's not just a financial benefit that you get from sales-based fundraising, but you also get brand awareness as well. And I guess, you know, we've we've spoken uh, fairly recently about ethical consumerism, which, of course, is a, is a massive topic. Um, and there seems to be a growing body of evidence that consumers, customers are more mindful about making ethical choices and interested to know yeah. how they are making a positive impact in the world. With this in mind, do you are you seeing with your work for work for good? Are you seeing any evidence that um, this is becoming a bigger thought in the minds of uh, either employees or employers and small businesses, especially? Yes, definitely. Work for good. We're a small business ourselves, and mm-hmm. as I said, you know, we only launched back in 2018. But what we have seen, we have seen a growth in terms of the number of businesses who have been joining our platform and wanting to donate to charities. You know, a really kind of clear example of this is is last year when the pandemic struck. We as a small business didn't know which way we were going to go, but we also had a responsibility as a fundraising platform to fundraise for Mm. charities who were, as we all know, losing income, left, right and centre and employees. So we took the kind of decision to keep all our team members on and just power our momentum into fundraising and also focusing on the businesses who were actually doing okay Mm. and who did want to give back. And therefore, what we saw last year, it was almost kind of a complete difference to, unfortunately, the rest of the sector was, you know, a considerable amount of growth more and more businesses every single week were signing up to the platform to donate to the charities that were important to them and equally from a sector perspective we were having on a weekly basis you know tens of charities contacting us and saying we have a lot of incoming inquiries from small businesses who are actually doing okay or perhaps they've shifted their business online and would like to give to us through a percentage or pounds of their products or services but we can't facilitate this we can't facilitate the commercial participation agreements mainly because these small businesses only wanted to or not only wanted but they were only able to donate small amounts of money because as you can imagine 
particularly with the pandemic and just being very careful about margins and income, you know, businesses were, sales were being thrown left, right and centre. Um, so it gave, you know, we were able to give charities a solution to be able to offer their supporters. So instead of rejecting their donations because perhaps they didn't reach their um, thresholds for a larger partnership, they were able to say, well, yes, absolutely, we'd love to have your support also very grateful for it considering the climate please can you donate to us through our work for good page and I like to hope that that solution has really benefited those charities and helped them increase their support base rather than decline it or perhaps have to offer an alternative. I guess from my own experience I've worked in a lot of small charities and you know just hearing you hearing you speak Veronica I guess it's reminded me of a few instances in my past where you know I've and of course you know the commercial participation agreements well um, talked about in the fundraising code of practice isn't it but uh, you know Mm -hmm. I I remember you know examples of um, getting a company getting in touch and then you know lots of enthusiasm and then you know kind of thinking all oh, right what do we need to do because we're you know jack of all trades master of none you know um i have been anyway in the past and <laughs> probably still am and uh, you know in the small charities that you know it's not having any experts on these things and then kind of mm. delving into what it what it is and then you know finding examples which are very complicated in terms of wording and uh, mm. quite heavy and legal uh, kind of wording and, and it suddenly gets a little bit scary what are we entering into, you know? And I suppose it's also, I think I've had it before where we've kind of cobbled together a, a commercial participation agreement, sent it over to a, a company that came to us with lots of uh, enthusiasm. And suddenly that conversation then went very, very quiet because presumably they've been put <laughs> off by all of the, you know, the reams and reams of clauses that we've, uh, mm. we've put together. I mean, are you, I guess that probably answers the question why a commercial commercial participation agreement is important because of course it's outlining for both parties you know what we're what they're signing up to I suppose mm-hmm. is that is that kind of how you how you see it in in uh, work for good yeah absolutely so obviously you know the commercial participation agreement is as you said it's needed whenever a business wants to donate through their sales mm. and publicize it to charity and the reason for it is to to be honest, it's to protect charities, it's to protect them so that, you know, the business doesn't take advantage of using the charity's name. Um, And there's nothing wrong with having, and this is quite a clear distinction, and it's an important one, there's nothing wrong with having a commercial advantage for supporting a charity, but we don't want that commercial advantage to be taken advantage of. And that is why this contract's needed, so that the charity is fully aware of how the business would like to support them and also the expectation of how much they are expecting to raise. Um, And of course, uh, with a commercial participation agreement, the businesses also need to share the information with their consumers. So Mm. at the point of sale, a business does have to share a commercial participation statement or some people also call it a solicitation statement that just says, I'm donating five pounds from each t-shirt in fact that'd be a very generous uh, that'd be a very generous donation maybe let's say one pound per t-shirt these poor small businesses i'm raising the bar far too high gosh they're gonna be sacked um <laughs> uh so one pound per per t-shirt to x charity 
and they can include via work for good platform to make it really transparent that they're using an external party to create this agreement with as well mm. and then their consumers know now there are two really super things about this one they have just been very transparent in their agreeing to charity law fundamentally and two they're letting their consumers know in a really smart way what their business means and the value of their business um, and I think actually sometimes uh, charities don't necessarily think about those advantages as well and the brand awareness that the commercial participation agreements and relationships can actually create on a smaller scale with these lovely small businesses. I guess, um, because I suppose from the business's point of view, is it that they, obviously they want to do good, they want to support a charity, maybe a a small charity or charity that they're connected to outside of the business, maybe a member of staff knows the charity. I guess also Mm -hmm. there's an element of advantage over competitors, do you think? I mean, we we mentioned Mm -hmm. it earlier with ethical consumerism. Is that that a, a kind of a motivator, do you think, for some of the companies wanting to support charities too? Yes, I do. I do. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there are a couple of ways you have to look at it. <laughs> Giving needs to be authentic mm. and needs to be done for the right reasons. But there can also be, you know, there is a competitive competitive, excuse me, advantage of giving. And if I and with the rise of ethical consumerism and the shift to, you know, people wanting to do better, people wanting to buy from businesses that are doing better and they're doing good and they're giving back. Mm. If you put two brands next to each other and one is giving back to charity and the other one isn't, and you have an inch of purposefulness in your uh, heart or in your wallet that day, you're going to choose the business that's giving back. Absolutely. So therefore, as a business, you're going to create another sale Mm. and then hopefully a customer again in the future because obviously it's not just necessarily that one transaction. And equally, that charity has had the brand awareness there with the consumer and the business. I guess the, the other side of the the company's understanding what they're getting out of it and, and kind of what they're not only in terms of the, the uh, potential addition, additional value to their brand, but also the additional value to their, you know, maybe their staff that, you know, the sense of mm-hmm. the goodwill their staff have towards the company they work for because they're helping a charity, but also I guess, um, on the on the flip side of that, you know, how much should charities be aware of the value of their brand, and and kind of how um, how to an extent they should be selling that, kind of what price point they should mm-hmm. be putting on that? Is that is that possible to calculate? Uh, it is is definitely possible to calculate. Um, I'm not sure I am the expert in calculating that. But right, I think okay. what I think what is important is to know is value of a charity's brand is the most valuable thing that the charity has mm-hmm. um, obviously apart from the services that it offers but when we're looking at what a charity can give back to a business it is mm-hmm. their brand um, that also just to bring some more gray uh, documentation into it uh, charity's logo is a vatable supply right because if you're giving your charity logo, to a business to be mm. able to use to market their products or services, then you're giving them something in return for the donation that they're going to make if they sell that product. Right, okay, yeah. 
So you've got to decide, I suppose, one, you've got to have a license agreement set up to allow the business to use your logo. But two, you've got to decide how valuable your logo is. And this will depend on several factors. Um, As I said, I'm not an expert in this at all. And there are many people who are. Um, But it will depend on, you know, the size of the charity. It will depend on different partnerships that are being set up at the same time. So uh, some charities will put a license fee of uh, a few pounds on their logo and some will put a license fee of £50,000 minimum donation. Wow. So if you're looking at that £50,000 minimum donation and you've Mm. got a group of lovely small businesses that want to come along and sell their products and services for this charity, for example, they are no way going to hit that £50,000 minimum donation. So straight away, they're sort of being written off as supporters. So that's why I suppose how we support um, businesses and how we support charities is businesses can set up a um, pledge and Mm. commercial participation agreement to the charity through our platform. They aren't allowed to use the logo. Right. Um, and they're not effectively partnering with the charity, but they are supporting. Okay. So um, they can talk about the charity in plain text, which mm. they would need to because of the commercial participation statement, or solicitation mm. statement, but they can't use the logo. So this actually adds quite a lot of benefit for the charity because they can be more selective on the partnerships that they choose to invest more time and resource in. Mm. But equally, they're not rejecting all those smaller, and it doesn't necessarily have to be small businesses, it could be medium or large, that don't quite meet their partnership um, commitments or um, processes that they want to have followed to have that set up. But it still allows them to support them. And of course, with the more supporters you've got, the, the more financial income you're going to get or the more brand awareness. So just by saying sort of no, because you can't reach £50,000 um, once and then not offering them another solution isn't necessarily going to be the most effective way of um, kind of uh, nurturing your supporter base. I suppose an analogy would be that you know if you're a charity and you you you, sh- you close the door to anyone other than a, a major donor that was willing to give you five figures, which you know I don't think I've ever worked for a charity that would ever do that. You know they, they'd never <laughs> turn down somebody that's uh, that's got a few thousand instead of fifty thousand or a few hundred instead of uh, fifty thousand. So that seems like a good way of kind of uh, giving options to as, as many people as possible to support your cause. Yeah, exactly. And actually, you you make a really good point when you're talking about kind of a major donor here. The majority of of businesses are micro, so that's between zero and nine employees. But actually, so many of those are sole traders. So that's just an individual running a business. So looking at it a slightly different way, think about our individual givers of the charity sector. So, you know, 43% of charitable income comes from individuals. Mm. We would never ever turn down a five pound donation from an individual yeah so why are we turning down a five pound donation from a business who is an individual they just happen to be supporting through your business which actually makes much more sense because they're reaching a bigger audience Mm. so therefore you have you know the added benefits and of course you never know you never know you know what that 
kind of the, the longevity of that relationship, do you? That again, using that, that example with, you know, the 50,000 pound donor or company, it might be a, a one-off, but then you might be able to build a longer term relationship with somebody that can give less, but over a longer period of time, you know, with individual givers, we've spoken about it on the podcast before, you know, legacy giving is a huge area. So I suppose mm-hmm. the, the, the crux of it is you never know. And, and very few charities would really ever want to put themselves in a situation where they close the door on something, someone willing to support them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we have, you know, we have many examples actually of watching businesses as they grow, you know, after over the last couple of years, Mm. particularly those who are giving on a monthly basis started very much as a startup um, or early stage company. And because they've been allowed to give in small increments, as they've grown as a business, their sales have increased and therefore their donations have grown. Um, and I, I use this example quite a lot, but I think it's, it's a really important one. And equally, they are in a similar space to us um, in terms of putting a giving a digital solution to an age old traditional fundraising method. There's a uh, there's a platform called Raffalux and they're an online um, raffling company um, and they give 10 uh, percent of every raffle ticket that they sell online to a charity of the consumer's choice. Mm. Now, they set up their model um, back in 2018 as well and had some big ambitions to donate lots every month. But obviously, as a startup, it takes you a little time to get off the ground. And they approached various different charities and unfortunately were turned away, um, but came to us and said, well, can we start through you? Which they did. And they started with donating kind of £20 per month to a selection of charities. Mm. Um, roll on two years. Uh, they're now donating between I think seven and ten thousand pounds through the work for good platform um, on a monthly basis to charities and and this is the interesting and important part they also have separate now corporate relationships with some of the charities who want to take them on a bit further so not only can they keep the kind of charities who aren't able to partner with them Mm. um, on board and be able to support them but charities have seen the value because they've been able to watch them over the years and now want to take on um, internal partnerships. So it's a really, it's been a really good opportunity to see this lovely small startup growing, um, but only because they were given the chance and the access to, to donate at the beginning. There are companies, small small businesses, they're giving on a monthly basis. In some cases, initially small amounts, then it potentially it's growing, or or just mm-hmm. recognizing those small amounts add up to a you know a lot of support over over a longer period of time. What what other things are companies doing in terms of supporting uh, charities through your platform? Sure. So yeah, of course, you know the the primary support is financial, mm-hmm. and that really is um, what we are doing to support them and to support charities. Mm-hmm. However, there are, you know, secondary benefits to um, both for charity and businesses. So as I've sort of mentioned, the brand awareness piece, you know, taking last year as an example, when the pandemic struck, 750,000 businesses had to move online. So, you Mm. know, their customers moved online as well. But this also allowed, you know, businesses to think smartly about how they would reach their customers. (laughs) You know, we've all been stuck on social media for far too long now um but uh you know small businesses are very digitally savvy 
and they want to speak to their customers. They want to create their own communities. They want to also sell their products and um, share their purpose and the values of them as individuals and them mm. as business owners, because they know that that's going to um, align with their customers. So, you know, the impact that that is having, you know, it's having the initial impact on the lovely business owner. Uh, because they are able to get out of bed every morning, probably turn on their computer, which they've done the same time every day for the last year in the same place with the same chaos in the background and get to work knowing that, you know, every sale that they make is going to, uh, there's going to be a donation given to charity. So that's kind of impact one. It's on a person on the business owner. Mm. Second impact you've got on any employees that they might have. So going back to a point you said earlier about, you know, how do you encourage your employees to work harder? It's been a really, really difficult year Mm. and culture within organisations, you know, it has been a a difficult job to ensure that that continues and particularly from a very virtual perspective. So, you know, a very small way for a business to encourage their employees to work hard and continue to be motivated for some is to say, you know, well, we're going to be donating a bit to charity. So it's really good for employees. And then from, as I said, you know, the brand awareness piece of reaching an external online market. So there are lots of different impacts there. And at the end of the day, businesses together can raise an awful lot of money. You know, there are 5.8 million businesses in the UK as I said before and actually if only one in 20 businesses donated one percent of their income it would create one billion pounds of charitable funding every year so that's that's not a figure to be sniffed at Mm. so if it could create that why are we not doing as much as we can to try and uh, obtain it um, and support them and nurture that community. So that's, you know, that's what we're here to sort of help do. And we, we know listening to the podcast, we've got a lot of people representing small charities or even small charitable groups. What What should they be doing to try and drive uh, an increase in in this kind of partnerships or or help the sector to get to that one billion pound mark that you just spoke about. Mm, Should they be approaching of uh, employees of of companies or or going straight to the the owners of companies? Or? So going straight to the owners of companies because you know as we were saying, companies have very small um, numbers of employees. Mm. <laughs> so actually going to the owner could be the right person to go to. I think think tangibly as well. You know think about what your charity is. Think about the types of people who are perhaps using your services or might support you as well. And think about, you know, looking at, bring an example of a small business um, called uh, Patty & Co. She creates organic muslins Mm -hmm. for babies and she donates to Tommy's. So for Tommy's, it makes sense to approach uh, mothers and baby or children's uh, products Mm -hmm. to support them. But there are also, you know, with smaller charities and regional ones in particular, think about local businesses. Um, and it's not just your physical shop front, you know, your news agents, your hairdressers. Mm. But think about those flyers that come in through your door of um, labourers or plumbers or tree cutters or the marketing consultant or perhaps um, 
an SEO consultant or the solicitor down the road as well, because, you know, every time a solicitor writes a will, not only are they pocketing a lovely fee, but they could perhaps donate a little bit of that fee to you as a charity. Mm. And that might relate quite well to your services, perhaps. With small companies having suffered so much during the pandemic, how do you see partnerships with charities working over the next few years? And are these more or less enticing to companies than pre-COVID? I think that's a really, really good question. Um, I'm actually really excited. I think there are some really big positives that have come out of the pandemic, actually, Mm. particularly in relation to small businesses. I think, um, you know, the government last year put a lot of onus on the fact that small businesses needed support. You know, we were being constantly told, stay home, support your local business, stay local, um, give back to your local economy, support small. And there are plenty of campaigns that support small businesses, particularly around Christmas. So I think small businesses as a whole have been put on the agenda. I equally think charities have been put on the agenda and the need for them I think there's a lot of kind of misunderstanding with the general public about the need for charity. And, you know, if the government can't provide it, then they're hopeless. But that's not necessarily true. Charities are here to support the services that government can't provide and and fill the gaps. You know, it would be great if we were living in a world where we didn't have any charities, to be honest, apart Mm, from none of us would have a career. But, you know, that would be a, a lovely place to be in. But I think we've got to use that and the platform that both have been put on to our advantage as a sector and you know there were although you know three to four million small businesses really have struggled through the pandemic there are over a million that are really thriving Mm. and therefore if us charities can find those million and see if they want to support then it can open up a lot of doors for the future Um, This is probably one other thing I would say, really putting the business needs first Mm. and thinking about how a business likes to give. Mm. And I think that's going to be the real change in partnerships with businesses. Um, Just because a business might not have, you know, plentiful of employees doing some staff fundraising, if they are selling a product, then they can give through their sales. And they may not want to also, they may not also want to um, create a complex partnership with a charity due to limited time and resource. So thinking about kind of easy methods to offer a donor, uh, sorry, a business donor, so that they can support you in kind of the easiest way possible. So, you know, when we're talking about and of course, I'm talking about sort of work for good as an online fundraising platform, but we're only here because we know businesses want an easy way to give to charity. We're not here to make the job any more complex. And if businesses are choosing to give through an online platform, then there's no difference really there between giving through a, you know wonderful um, individual giving platforms like Just Giving or Virgin Money Giving, but they just want an easy online solution to do so. Veronica Bamford-Dean, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Thank you very much, Sam. It's been lovely to speak to you.
Big thank you there to Veronica Bamford-Dean for sharing her insights and expertise with us. It sounds like there is a lot of potential for small charities to build meaningful fundraising relationships with small businesses. Perhaps now, after the many months of restrictions and hardship, many small business owners and charity leaders may come to realise that they need each other more than ever. The idea of turning away a willing supporter may sound alien to some, but many charity experience a challenge in speaking with business or other supporters who approach them in a way that they may not be used to. In these situations, we should, of course, start from the point of view of what we can give to that supporter in order to build a long-term and mutually beneficial reciprocal relationship. Cause-related marketing offers the opportunity for charities to build fundraising relationships, but also recognition and possibly a wider supporter base through reaching out to their corporate supporters' customers. Of course, there are risks to overbalancing the relationship on either side and having some clear guidelines to help protect both parties and measure expectations is absolutely vital. It seems to me that building relationships with small businesses could not only help charities to do more good, it could also help to encourage ethical consumerism and perhaps even ethical business decisions, which given the potential market that Veronica mentioned, might shift things up a gear when it comes to overcoming the challenges and inequalities we face in our society. The frustration that small businesses may have had in hurdles to giving the charities may have inadvertently put in their way and the concerns that charities may have had of being taken advantage of by entering into an unbalanced relationship with a business may be a thing of the past if both parties can find a way of simplifying that initial understanding. If you would like to find out more about Work for Good please do have a look at the link on our website along with the links to the fundraising code of practice where there is more information about commercial participation agreements. Hopefully, with the aid of these and possibly other resources and learnings, you will be able to help your causes to be in a better position to engage with small businesses and accommodate their chosen form of support without sacrificing the value for your beneficiaries. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, charity people for enabling us to share insights expertise and best practice across our sector giant squid audio lab for sponsoring our podcast kit magda axmit for our beautiful website check it out at charitychat.org.uk you can also get in touch with us through the site and also find us on linkedin facebook and twitter just look for charity chat and last but not least thank you to saeed dajani for playing throughout the show and for playing us out Right now, that's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.